Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Sierra Cummings, who had planned a home birth in Los Angeles, but while attending a funeral in Missouri, she would end up going into labor and birthing her second son in a hospital there. Her story has many layers, and after four years, she is ready to share. Hello, Tiara. Welcome to the show. Hi, Holness. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Welcome. Welcome. Tiara, can you start off by telling us a little about yourself and your family? I can. I am Tiara Cummings, as you stated. I'm a 37-year-old Kansas City, Missouri native. Um, I moved to Los Angeles maybe nine and a half, ten years ago. And I am a full-spectrum doula and an herbalist, which came maybe almost five years ago um, through the traumatic birth process of my youngest son. Um, In my entire adult career, I was in IT, project management, computer programming. And after that, I completely shifted gears and went into maternal health um, because of the disparities that I faced personally, giving birth in a hospital setting. So that's a little bit about me. I have two beautiful boys, um, two sunshines, so I get to experience all that black boy joy, although they drive me crazy sometimes. I love them to death. Um, I have Tyler. He's 15. He'll be 16 in September. And Zane, who just turned four, March 12th. And so Zane was like the shakeup kid, but I needed him in order to walk in my purpose. So I don't say that the the whole experience was for nothing. It was truly for me to to find my purpose and walk in it. Tyler taught me true love and, you know, a lot of other lessons, but Zane gave me my purpose. And so uh, I am finally ready to, to talk about what occurred four years ago uh, while giving birth to him. So if we want to. Yeah, well, we are. We first start off by just tell us a bit about your pregnancy with him. Um, so my pregnancy was really good with him. I found out right away uh, as soon as I knew the moment that I conceived Zane. I was like, oh, that was it. <laughs> I knew it. And, um, you know, just really healthy pregnancy, healthy baby. I, I was really well the entire time. Um, I hired a midwife in Los Angeles. Shout out to Debbie Allen with Tribe Midwifery. Um, she was my midwife. And that's who I sought care from up until the very end. And I had to give birth in the hospital. Um, But the pregnancy was really well. I knew that it wasn't my first pregnancy. Of course, I have Tyler. um, And that was it was a good pregnancy as well. A good experience. But I was just one of those. Yes, mamas. Like, yes, the doctors know exactly what they're talking about. Yes, they know what's best for me. Yes, they know what's best for my son. Yes to everything you throw my way. So you know, I just went with everything that they they gave me. And I knew that during this next pregnancy, I didn't want the same experience. I wanted something different. Although it wasn't bad, I just knew I wanted something different. Um, yes to vaccines. Yes to birth certificates and social security numbers. And um, I mean, of course, with Zane, completely different, completely different. And so the pregnancy was really well. Um, I sought my care from Debbie. Um, I didn't do too much. I didn't do the glue clothes. I didn't do the group B strip. I didn't do a lot of things that I chose, you know, not to do for my own personal reasons. 
And um, Debbie was okay with that. The hospital was not. So ran into some issues there. But it was a really good pregnancy. I never had morning sickness. I didn't throw up once. I was a bit tired, I think, just from having a baby in my 20s and then another one in my 30s. The game changed or <laughs> my body changed. But it was, you know, a, a different experience. But a, a great pregnancy, nonetheless. Um, I think I, I think for many of us, that second time around, I mean, we do we take many lessons the first time around. But um, when we feel like there are some things we want to do different, for sure, that second time around, we're like, no, this is going to go this way. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to go this way. So I love that you were supported in that to do the things that felt aligned with how you how you wanted to be cared for. Um, at least in the in the pregnancy, pregnancy right. part. And I just wanted a little bit more control over the situation. I felt like I was a bit powerless before and everybody made the choices for me. And I wanted to just control it myself a bit more and control the environment. And so that's why I wanted to do the home birth. One of the reasons why I was so adamant about a home birth. But yeah, very good pregnancy. Um Unfortunately for my second one, you know, I don't baby him as much. So with him, it's like, are you bleeding? Are you breathing? All right, get up. <laughs> we just go. So he's my tougher child. Whereas the first one, I still coddle him because that's like my first baby. So, you know, just completely different, uh, different experience. So beyond your um, building a birth team, um, and, and envisioning a home birth, what other things were you doing to prepare for this birth? I was reading every book that I could get my hands on. I thought I actually did that the first time and I did read it, but I didn't read it from a holistic standpoint and, you know, doing things naturally. I did get an epidural with, with my first uh, son. You know, I took the meds, I did everything. And, and I just wanted a holistic approach with this one. And knowing that I was having a home birth, of course I had to you know, learn different breathing techniques, things that will get me through that home birth. So I was mentally prepared for it. You do. I mean, the preparation is much different knowing that I couldn't get, you know, the epidural for pain management. I was just going to have to breathe through it. And so what I kept saying to myself was, what did my great great grandmother do when she was giving birth to 17 children? Not in a hospital at all. She was born in 1885. She passed away when I was five. She was 104, but she had 17 children never once went to a hospital. So I knew that it could be done mentally. It was just me needing to get prepared. So in preparation, just reading different um, breathing techniques, different meditations, you know, speaking with Debbie and getting, you know, her expertise and just keeping the lines of communication open with everyone I needed to talk to in my birth team, um, just being really supportive, supportive of the decisions I was making, making sure I was to prep everyone else like their dad. He wasn't with it, but he wasn't against it. It was just like, I support you, whatever you want to do. I, I'll support you with it. So um, I think just that was the, the prep, you know, getting the breathing techniques down because that is truly what carried me through. Like, that's how I made it. I don't feel like I would have made it other than that or without those breathing techniques. Tell us about your birth. Woo. The beginning. <laughs> so uh, the actual birth did travel and I had spoke to Debbie and she was like, Tia, I think this last trip needed to be it. I, I took granny 
to Colorado to to visit her son. Um, he was on his deathbed, literally. And I took her to see him, but I swelled really bad. And I went back to see Debbie as soon as I got back to Los Angeles. And she was like, I think that needed to be it. Well, I stayed on bed rest and he did end up passing away like within that week. And my swelling went down and I was like, I should be fine. I was like 36 weeks. Like, I'll be okay. And I traveled and I should have stayed at home. I should have stayed at home because that's not what I did. Um, I went on and I took Granny to the funeral and we came here to Missouri. It was a really busy week. And I had been telling Debbie, he's going to come March 31st, 331. I keep seeing it everywhere. So we're just going to prepare for 331. And I was really big on numerology. I still am. And I told her once I found out he was a boy, you know, his birth number would be uh, a seven. And so I was preparing for 331. And the morning of March 12th, that a.m., I was getting getting up, getting granny together. We were headed out to the airport, headed back to Los Angeles. And I was 37 weeks that day. And we were heading out. And I felt that first little gush. And I'm like, oh, no. And it, my water didn't completely break, but it was just a little, like, enough to let me know something was going on. And so the first thing I did was grab my calculator <laughs> or my phone so I could use the calculator. And I, like, added the numbers up. And sure enough, it was a one plus six, seven. And I was like, today's the day. So I called my sister and she was still in Los Angeles. And I was like, hey, I need you to call Debbie, tell her to get to the house, get everything ready because I'm on my way. Like we're headed to the airport. I'm on my way there. She's like, Tierra, please don't get on the flight. You know, don't get on the flight. Just go to the hospital there. And I'm like, I'll make it. She was like, you probably won't. You know, my labor with Tyler was three hours from start to finish. I pushed for 21 minutes, but the whole start to finish was three hours. She said, I don't think you'll have time. And so I finally agreed, like, let me just go to the hospital. And my mom took me to the hospital and I told her on the way over there. She just took me to the one right here close to her house. And I told her, you know, as soon as we get here, do not leave me. Don't leave me with these people. I don't trust them. I don't know how I feel about the hospital anymore, but don't leave me alone. And as soon as we got there upon arrival, they, bam, tried to separate us. And so they said, uh, Ms. Cummings, we need you to come back. I was, you know, they shoved a bunch of papers in my face. We need you to sign all of these things. Who's your care provider? Just all of these questions hitting me. Mind you, I was having contraction after contraction after contraction because my experience with both of my pregnancies have been when the contractions start, the intensity is the same and they're, you know, five to seven minutes until I give birth. Like, and so I guess I'd rather be in three hours of intense pain than like 21 hours of labor or something. But yeah, so as soon as they started, they never stopped and it went all the way. And sure enough, my labor was three hours from start to finish. So I would not have made it back to Los Angeles. And so when we got to the hospital, of course, they, they separated us. And I was like, ma'am, you know, I'm not comfortable with my mom not being in here with me. My niece was with us. And she's like, well, you know, this is just our um, protocol. We we enter, in, intake the mom and then we'll get the family and everybody together, you know, after we get you set up. And I was like, yeah, but I'm just not comfortable. I need you to get my mom for me. And she's like, well, no, sweetie, because I have to ask you questions about your significant other and I'm contracting. And I'm like, hold on, 
you know, just let me make it through this. And she's like, um, I said, that's not my significant other. That's my mother. And I need her in here with me. Um, so I'm going to finish this contraction. I need you to go get her and then we can finish this intake process. But just, you know, met with resistance upon arrival. And so she she agreed. She went and got my mom and my mom came in there with my niece. They didn't want my niece in there. Just a lot, you know, no control at the hospital. This is why I wanted to be at home. And so I'm like, well, we'll have to figure it out, you know, until their dad can get here or one of my other relatives, my mom and my niece have to be in here with me because I don't want to be left alone. And my niece was only maybe like six at the time. Um, so just a bunch of back and forth. But finally, um, they allowed her to come back. She came in. We finished that intake process. I didn't really sign anything right away. Um, she gave them Debbie's information. Of course, it was super early in Los Angeles. So Debbie was asleep. Um, and so we just text her, you know, when you get up, can you send over my medical records, whatever you have that they're asking for? Um, they needed like a group B strep status, which I told them I didn't have it. Um, so finally they, they get me in the room. I'm undressing, sitting on the bed. They want to do an IV. They want to start meds. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't plan on all that. So I don't want it. You know, I, that's not my preference. Um, I don't need it. And they were like, well, we need to know um, your your blood type. And I was like, well, my blood type is A positive. So if something should happen, then I need a transfusion. Bring me A positive. And they were like, well, we can't take your word for it. We need blood. You know, just really adamant about getting my blood and putting that in my hand. And I was like, yeah, I don't want it. So my mom is like nervous, too. She's like, Tierra, they're just trying to be proactive and not reactive. Can you get the, the IV put in there? And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, so I'll go ahead and get that. But I'm like, ma'am, only take enough blood to test my, my blood type, nothing else. I'll give you that, but nothing else. And later, of course, I found out they drug tested me and everything else. It was a lot going on behind the scenes that I didn't know about. Um, but yeah, so those, you know, a couple of hours passed and the contractions were more and more intense. And I ended up having him um, like within that three hour mark, I only pushed for like three or four minutes and he was here. And the doctor who delivered me, um, he was really cool. Dr. Florio. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm ob My sister, you know, she's hippie. She's had six kids, all of them at home with a midwife, not with me. So he was really, he was really cool. And I told him, you know, I wanted to do a lotus birth. He's like, I don't know what that is. I don't really have time to look it up, but just tell me and maybe I can meet you in the middle somewhere. And I just explained to him it was non-severance of the umbilical cord. He's like, somebody give me a bulb. So he was okay with everything. He was really nice. Um, he met me where, where I was. She doesn't want any meds. Don't force her. Because me even not wanting an epidural and not wanting the pain meds turned into an issue where they keep asking you, sweetie, do you want this? Sweetie, we can give you. No, thank you. You know, and, and of course that wears you down because it's like, just let me breathe. Damn, just let me breathe. And so um, they got him the bowl. We put the placenta in the bowl. They never seen anything like this before. So, of course, it was a lot of questions and a lot of observations and people in and out. And they need to see what is going on. Why is this baby still attached to this placenta? Um, a few nurses at that point were, well, I feel like the baby is going to get an infection. If he gets an infection, he'll die. One nurse, I just looked it up. It needs to be above the heart. We don't know how to treat the placenta. And I'm like, ma'am, just slow down. I know. 
I know how to treat my placenta. I'll make sure it's taken care of. I've already sent someone to get everything I need. The herbs, everything I need is on the way. So just just pump your brakes and give me a minute. But the moment they put him on my chest, they never got him back. That was it. It was a wrap. And so, um, of course, by that time, their dad had arrived and um, I did let him hold him, let him hold him. I let him hold him so that, you know, he could spend some time with him. Of course, he was still attached to the placenta. So I was really careful and I, he, he did let them get like his height and his weight and head circumference, but nothing else. And his little feet print prints. So after that, um, this is when the trouble came. After the doctor left and I was left along with those nurses, it was like all hell broke loose. And um, I mean, I was told repeatedly he's going to die you know, we need to treat him. We need to get you started on Pitocin. Pitocin after birth is going to help your uterus contract. And I'm like, yeah, so we'll breastfeed him. And I'm breastfeeding him. So just, you know, let me, just let me be. I need a moment. I don't want all those bright lights. No, you cannot check him. No, you cannot. I didn't want the, the eye ointment. I don't want any vitamin K. No um, hepatitis B. Just all the things that they try to fill them up with as soon as they get here. And I'm like, no, you know, you can't do anything. So I refused everything. I didn't take so much as a Tylenol from those people. Not one thing other than I'm there. I push this baby out. Y'all give them here. Let me have that bowl and let us do our thing. And so, I mean, they came in all day, all day. And this was on Sunday. I had him on a Sunday all day long. I, I heard, um, He's going to get an infection. We have to take him down here. We have to look at this. We have to monitor his brain waves. We have to do. And it was people coming in, students coming in. They needed to see what was going on. Why is the baby still attached to the placenta? Is the placenta, is it still pulsating? I was told it's pointless. There's not, the baby's not getting anything from the um, placenta at this point. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, that's your opinion and you're entitled to that. But still just trying to remain calm. And I was a bit tired. Um, so, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm going to keep him attached to this placenta and I'll treat the placenta. Well, we have to make sure that he can hear. We're going to check the brain waves to make sure he can hear. I'm like, he can hear. Cause when I was doing that seesaw grinder, he was looking over at me. I know my baby can hear, but I mean, it was just whatever they could tell me to get this baby out of my hands and into another room they came in there. They tried every tactic you can think of. It was so much. It was so overwhelming. And I finally was like, you know what? It's time for me to go home. And I called Debbie um, Monday, Monday a.m. They sent in a black, a black doctor. And it was almost as if to say without saying, we can't relate to her. You go try. And so I had the conversation with her. She's like, really, bedside manner was lost. Um, well, we don't want that thing to start sinking in here. And we, I said, oh, it won't, you know, it won't. I made sure of that. I know how to treat the placenta. Um, it's just a lotus birth. I know that you're not familiar with it and neither are the other people, but I know what I'm doing here. So I'll make sure that um, it's not stinking in here. And I just told her, you know, I respect your position as ob but I need you to respect me as a mother who would like to do a lotus birth with my child. That's it. I'm not here to make anybody comfortable. I'm not here to explain anything to anybody. I was here to give birth and, and that's it. And so she ended up leaving. And so I called Debbie um, and told her what was going on. You know, it's just been people back and forth all day. 
Um, I mean, th at this point, the pediatrician came in. They were wondering about the placenta because I didn't give the baby to anybody. And, you know, that that instinct kicked in and I paid attention to how I felt and I went with my intuition and it didn't feel right. And so um, one came in, they wanted to put them like under a Billy Rubin light. They wanted to do all these things, this heel prick that I refused. They wanted to um, get his blood type, just a bunch of different stuff. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I knew I could go in there and refuse everything. And so I did just that. And so um, I was just like, you know what, I'm ready to go because if I can't rest here, I need to go home so that I can. And I need to go ahead and sign out. And so they kept coming in. I would call Debbie every time someone came in. I was texting her, telling her what they were saying. And so finally, um, early afternoon, she said, Tier, I don't want to scare you, but you need to go ahead and get out of that hospital. Um, they're going to try to take your baby. And I'm like, why would you say that? And she was like, I've done this long enough. I know what's, you know, what's to come. And I was like, OK. And she said, um, so go ahead and just tell him, you know, it's time for you to go. You're ready to go ahead and just be discharged. And so I, I went ahead and told them that. And when I told them that it became a frenzy, like we cannot let her leave, you know, almost as if they were keeping me there. And I'm like, yeah, that won't work. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go. And so they were like, well, we have to, you know, wait on the doctor for this. And the doctor has to give us the OK on this and just all these different things. And I'm like, I don't, whatever you do, I'm just ready to go. And so they kept giving me the runaround. And then they finally came back and said, well, we can discharge you, but we can't discharge the baby. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, we don't have the group B strep status. So we have we have to monitor him for 48 hours. And so by about 4 p.m. now. Um, still no, um, no let up, like they were holding us there. We have to wait for the pediatrician. So literally all day, you know, up until 4 p.m., there were nurses coming in telling me, um, I heard he was going to die. I can't even count how many times they told me my baby was going to die. Um, he needs to be seen by the pediatrician. Um, I'm like, you know what, at this point, I'll just make him an appointment to be seen by the pediatrician once we get out of here. Cause I don't know who to trust. And I turned, I started going into mama bear mode and then Debbie told me that. So I was like, really, you know, there was some anxiety, but try not to appear outwardly crazy because I don't want them to send me upstairs to the psych ward. I wanted to leave the hospital with my baby. And so, um, they kept coming in, no group B strep status. So we can't release the baby. We have to monitor him for 48 hours. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. He's a, he's a healthy baby. What are you monitoring him for his temperature? And so they say, yeah. And I'm like, well, he's held his temperature since birth. You know, it hasn't dropped or increased in a detrimental way where we need to be worried about him. So finally, um, I want to say, it was about 8, maybe 8 p.m. More hours went by. And I called Debbie around 6. And she was like, Tierra, you're going to have to give them an ultimatum. You're going to have to tell them that you're signing out and you're signing out AMA. And I'm like, what is AMA? Like, I don't know what you And she was like against medical advice. But she was like, just calm down. So she just walked me through what to say to them, what I needed to get in writing. Um, and you know, the procedure as far as leaving and signing out AMA. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And so when I started telling them that, it was more of a frenzy. 
So they sent two nurses in and this was these were the last two nurses after all day of harassment, because that's what it was. It wasn't checking on me. It was just harassment at this at this point. Um, the two nurses came in and it was like good cop, bad cop. And one was pregnant and one and that was bad cop. She was kind of I didn't like how she made me feel. And then the other one with the dark hair, she um, she was really nice. She was like, hi, sweetie. You know, we just want to come in and talk to you and make sure that we're all on the same page here. Really nice tone and, you know, trying to bait me in. And then we got crazy, the pregnant one. And she was like, um, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure we're on the right page because it, it seems to me as if you're refusing medical treatment. You've refused medical treatment for two days now. And I said, well, what medical treatment am I refusing? Like, is there a problem that I don't know about with my my son or myself and I've refused treatment for it? You know, what exactly are you referring to? And when she started listing the things, you don't want to do the heel prick. You don't want to do the uh, bilirubin. And that's what the bilirubin count. You don't want to do vitamin K. You don't want to do. So she's saying that I'm refusing medical treatment. And I'm like, well, ma'am. These are all recommendations. They're not requirements. So that's more my preference and is left up to me. And she's like, well, I just want to make sure we're on the same page because in the middle of the night and she kept referencing the middle of the night. And I'm thinking, well, what's going to happen in the middle? of What are you trying to do in the middle of the night? And I just was very dismissive at that point. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to let you worry about that baby you're carrying. And I'll I'll worry about this one that I just gave birth to. And I turned over and that was it. And as soon as I heard that door close, I jumped up. I threw my sweats on. I started getting the baby together and I called my aunt um, because their dad was preparing to get back to Los Angeles because I had another son who, you know, needed his attention. My sister was there, but of course she was working. So one of us had to be with the other child. And my mom was with me, you know, I'm like, we'll be fine. Just go to Tyler. I'll figure it out here. And um, I got up, I threw the sweats on. I got the baby together. Oh, and I had nothing. When I say I didn't have a car seat, I didn't have clothes because everything was in Los Angeles. I had absolutely nothing. But I had a friend who was pregnant at the same time as me, um, Ashley. So she had all those things from her baby shower and she brought me what I needed. She sent the car seat with my mom. Um, She sent clothes. She sent everything we needed to leave that hospital. And so um, after I got up and threw my sweats on, I started getting myself together. I started gathering my things and I called my aunt and I'm like, I need you to come and pick me up from the hospital right now. Just get up here. I'll explain to you later. And before I could even hang up with her, my mom walked in the door with the car seat and with everything Ashley has sent. I was like, oh, thank you, God. So I started telling her, but I was appearing like a bit crazy and disheveled. I'm like, we got to get out of here. And she was like, what? What is going on? I'm like, we got to go. We got to hurry up and go. You Here, you hold him. I'm going to go tell them we're leaving. And I got like halfway down the hall. And then I came back like, give me my baby. You go tell him. Because I didn't even trust her. And because she was like, well, Tierra you know, they just want to check him out. They just want to do. So she was kind of in agreement with them and I, where I wasn't. And I'm like, I don't trust them to do anything at this point. Like I'm just ready to go. And so me and her had a little back and forth, which I know they heard it. Cause later when I got my medical records, it was noted in there. Um, what was said between the two of us. 
And specifically what was said is like, I got 50 white people out there going against everything I'm saying. And the one person I need it on my side is, is trying to side with them. I need you to show up for me. And I was getting emotional because it was crazy. I'm, I'm able to talk about it now, but even thinking about it is bringing up the, the way I felt then. And it was like, I don't know. I felt like I was fighting for my life and his. I didn't know what was to come. I had no clue. And so I'm like, I need you. We got to get out of this hospital. That has to happen like right now. I don't want them to try to take him. So she ended up walking down to the nurse's station. I could hear her. And she said, what are you holding them here for? And they were like, well, we can discharge her, but we can't discharge the baby. We don't have the group B strep status. So he has to be monitored for 48 hours. And she said, okay, well, where's that in writing? And she said, show me that in writing. And, you know, we'll go ahead and do what we need to do from there. But if you can't produce that in writing, you need to bring those AMA documents and you have about 10 minutes to do so. And if you don't bring them in 10 minutes, you need to mail to the house, whatever you need us to do, because we're out. And I was like, damn, I was waiting on you to show up. There you go. So we were able to, to, to get out. And so moment, like within five minutes, they brought the AMA documents. Debbie had already told me what to ask them, what to put on there specifically. Did the baby need additional medical treatment by them? which was a no. And so I had them to put that in writing um, on the documents and, and that was it. He was a well baby. I was a well mom. We could leave. And so um, they let us go. They, the nurse brought out, you know, the cart so we could wheel down everything. She had to walk us out, make sure his car seat was uh, properly strapped in, whatever they do. And then um, we were able to go and, I was like, oh, thank God. And I went to sleep that night, um, but not really. I was still kind of shaking up. So I rested a bit. And that was Monday night. Well, Tuesday a.m., my old neighbor called me. And so I had Tyler in the same hospital system, but not the same hospital. So they had a really old address for me. And that the neighbor who you know lived next door to that house that I used to live in, she called and she's like, Tierra, what is going on? The police are at my door asking me if I've seen my pregnant neighbor and they have the house, your old house surrounded, like the police are surrounding that house. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. And they're telling me that you took the baby from the hospital. The baby needed additional medical treatment. How would she have known that? And you took the baby from the hospital anyway. And I'm like, okay. And I knew it was a matter of minutes before they got to my mom's house. Um, because although I have been in LA for so long, my car was registered to my mom's, my driver's license, still Missouri. Um, I never switched it over. And um, when I say it was a matter of eight minutes, I was like, okay, thank you, Rhonda. I'll, um, I'll call you later and explain to you what's going on. But let me, let me figure this out really quick. And so I hung up with her and my parents' house is, is pretty big. It's, um, a big seven bedroom house, like 32 windows in the back where you can see straight out. We can, whoever can see straight in, you have to go. I literally had to go upstairs to see the other side of the house. And I knew it was minutes. So as I was running up the stairs to go see if any cars were sitting in the driveway or on that side of the house, I saw an unmarked car across the street. And I was like, damn, here we go. I didn't know what I was going to do or what was about to happen, but I was guided. And I mean, divinely guided because I didn't have a clue. 
And so I seen the unmarked car and I got to the back bedroom and then I seen um, the big Lee Summit tactical police truck coming up the street with three more police cars. And I ran back downstairs and my parents' room was on the, the main level. So I got the baby out of like eyesight and I took him into my mom's room and put him in the closet. And my mom's mom was here and little granny was here. So both of the grannies were here. And they were in the kitchen and then there was that knock on the door and it was like, you know, they're beating on the door. And so my mom's mom was just a minute. I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, we're not opening that door. <laughs> just sit down, you know, just chill out. Let me think. And I went ahead and told them, I'm sure it's the police. You know, they were at the old house and now they're probably here and they probably want to take the baby, but we just not going to open the door because I don't know what to do. And she was like, okay. And little granny, well, why would they want to take the, it was just so much chatter and so many questions. And I just needed to think. And I was like, I don't know, but just give me a moment. And he was a real chill baby. So he was cool where he was and he was sleep anyway. And so they beat on the door and beat on the door. And then um, DFS called my phone, Division of Family Services, called the phone and I answered it. And, um, I'm like, hello. She was like, may I speak with Tiara? This is, I said, who's speaking? And she said her name and said she was with Division of Family Services. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me take a message. And I took the message and that was that. And so the same lady, they, the police left. They they knocked on the door. I want to say they stayed out there for about 40 minutes. And then they left and they were gone for maybe two hours. And then they came back. And then they surrounded the house and then they couldn't get in again. So I called my dad who works for the police department. He's their chaplain. And I was like, don't come home because I'm not opening the door. The police are surrounding the house. Let my mom know, you know, we're not going to open the door right now because I don't know what to do. And it gets a little tricky and I'm just going to be completely transparent. Um, I had a speeding ticket that I didn't take care of here which I was like, I don't care. I don't live there anyway, but I'll, I'll deal with it when I deal with it. And so it turned into um, a warrant when I missed my court date because I was in Los Angeles. So that was the part that was tricky. And this was on um, Tuesday when this happened. So they surrounded the house. They kept coming back. They're beating on the door and they left. And so my mom and my dad came home And I'm like, don't even confirm that I'm in here. Like my mom came in and the police were out there talking to my dad. But I was like standing in the window, like looking out and trying to hear what was being said. And I could hear, well, we just need to check on the welfare of the baby. Um, This is a welfare check. And um, my dad was like, yeah, no, thank you. You know, and my mom was like, came in and she's like, Tara, they just want to see the baby, you know, still trying to. I'm like, it won't be a just see the baby. Trust me. Like, I feel it. I know that if we let these people in, it will go completely south. And so she was like, just let them see, like, so they can go away. And I think with her, too, it was like more embarrassment too, just being in this neighborhood. Like, and and she said it like, we have to live here. You'll be going back to Los Angeles. We still have to be here. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not worried about all that, but I am worried about my newborn. So, you know, we just got to figure it out from here. Police left. They probably did that about four times, like left and came back. And then they came at night. And of course, at night was worse. 
um, because it's like blaring lights everywhere. It was so much going on. And so they left and, and they didn't come back. But I never went to sleep. I'm telling you, I didn't sleep at all because I was now and I'm on watch and I got to watch to see. I'm thinking people going to come in the windows. I just didn't know. So Wednesday started same thing, but it got, you know, progressively worse. And of course they had a house phone. So I was talking to my sister and, and my dad is a pastor too. And they had Bible study um, Wednesday evening. So my brother and his wife and children were here um, after Bible study at the church. They all came here. And so they were here. Um, both grannies were here. It was just a house full and we were in the living room area with the lights on. So clearly they could see in. We could see out. They're beating on the door. It was like, we just not going to answer it. So they can see us, but they see us ignoring them. And then it became like a power trip thing. So I'm on the phone with my sister who was in L.A. And I, I was talking to her, like telling her what was going on. The police are here. They're on that bullhorn thing. Come out. I mean, just crazy. Come out. Come out with your hands up. Where's the 12 year old? Which let me know. Okay, you did a little research, but not enough because my baby won't be 12 until September. But they, you know, it was just the scare tactics. And so I'm on the phone with her telling her everything. And she heard them break through the line. And she was like, mm mm. And she hung up and I was like, what? He was like, ma'am, ma'am, you need to come out. So I was like, oh, shit, I just hung up the phone. I didn't even know what else to do. And so it was just whatever scare tactic they could think of or that you could think of, they used it. Um, the bullhorn beating on the doors. They were they went so far as to in the driveway, whatever car, um, cars were in the driveway. They were running the license plates. I mean, just trying to scare us into opening the door. We refused. I'm like, we're just not going to open it. But it was getting heated in this house and we started to turn on each other. Um, they started to just try to get in. The The beating got a little louder. They stayed a little longer. You know, it was just getting really intense. And my mom is like, I'm just going to open the door. And I'm like, no, if you open the door, you're going to be out there with them. And we we exchanged words. It, it was getting rough in the house. And so my her mom, my grandmother, she's like, well, get the attorney on the phone. And I did call my attorney and he was like, do not open that door. And I put him on speaker. He was like, do not open the door because they will lie and say whatever they have to say. Once they're in the house here, they're going to take you to jail. And I told him, you know, I had the speeding ticket and I didn't show up for that court date. He was like, they're going to take you to jail and they're going to take that baby back up to that same hospital and do everything you ask them not to do. And so don't tell your parents, don't even confirm that you're there. And so my mom heard that. And so that brought her down a little like, OK, well, we won't be able to do that. So they continued to come back. It was the same thing over and over, day in, day out. And finally, towards the end of that week, um, my dad. He called the chief of police and he was like, listen, this has to stop. You know, I know protocol, but at this point it's harassment. You need to call them off. And he's like, well, they just want to do a welfare check on the baby. He was like, she's not she's not with it and she doesn't have to, you know, so you just you got to do what you got to do. Call them off. And he did. And they stopped coming. But that didn't they stopped coming the way that they were surrounding the house and blaring lights and on the bullhorn and yelling but it didn't stop them from actually coming to the house. And so the DFS lady, she came for, I want to say like 30 days after a month of no response to the mail correspondence, no response to the voicemails that she left. 
no response to her card being left at the door. They closed the case out um, and it went away. And I remember May 23rd, we got back on a flight and we made it to LA. And when I tell you, I felt like those people on that movie Argo, when the plane got in the air, <laughs> it was like relief, like, oh my God, we made it. And, and we got out of here. Um, but it was like life altering. I don't know. I'm, it changed so much. Not only was it, I didn't get the vaccines and I didn't do everything they wanted me to do in the hospital. I didn't get him a birth certificate. I didn't get him a social security number. I didn't sign up for any of that. He didn't even have a name when we left the hospital. I named him like at the end of March. I was just like, hey, baby. But he just, I hadn't named him. So, and he still to this day doesn't have those things. He does now have a passport. And I've, you know, named him in a trust and done some other things, but he's just not integrated into their system. I just knew that I wanted something completely different for him for whatever reason, you know, I just, I wanted him to be free of all contracts and all contractual agreements until he could make those choices for himself. And so when we got out of here, um, that was that. And, but in the meantime, from the time that they stopped coming, um, surrounding the house, it was still the unmarked car out there. It was still the DFS people. They would still follow us. So my cousin, I, we would have to get plans, even just to go somewhere as simple to the hospital. She had a nine-month-old daughter, but I'm like, you'll have to come pull in the garage. We'll have to switch babies. I'm going to leave with your baby, but I need my baby to go to XYZ, the address. I mean, it would just have to be a whole plan to get out of this house just to take him somewhere simple to the hospital. And he's four. I, I breastfed him. I don't know. It's like I have some type of post-traumatic stress syndrome or something because I still breastfeed this four-year-old baby. But I would nurse him like, uh-uh, he can't go because he he's breastfed and um, I don't pump. But you, that became like a like a coping mechanism, I guess. So it was like a, I don't know, I don't want to say codependency, but it was something that I used to keep him with me, really close to me. And um, that's how we got through. And now I'm trying to wean him <laughs> because we've done this for so long. But um, that was that was it. That was in a nutshell, I guess, um, what occurred during that that crazy birth. There was a girl who did the exact same thing, Lotus birth, same hospital, same thing. And she chose, like, and it was within a week of each other. And she chose to comply with them and to work with them. And they took her baby into foster care. So I won't say there's a right or a wrong, but there was completely different views. She chose to work with those people. I wouldn't do it. You know, I ignored them completely, which taught me, you know, some of my own rights. Like I don't have to let them in. I don't have to deal with them. I didn't call them and they were like, we just want to talk. I'm like, well, hell, talk to each other because y'all not talking to us. We just need to check on the baby. Check on your kids because mine are fine. But you see what happened, you know, I just know what would have happened had I complied and I got to see that with someone else. Um, so thankfully I still have my baby. He's never been in foster care. He's with me. He's well, he's a well baby. Um, he looks like he's maybe five or six. He's a big boy, bright eyed, um, healthy. He's never been vaccinated. I don't even know his blood type yet. When it's time, I'll know it but he's been untouched. He's pure. And I'm happy that he's, he's here with me. And, you know, we, 
we have our our moments because he's rambunctious and i think if he would have came first i wouldn't have the second one, or the first one he's a lot of energy but nonetheless i needed him in order to walk in my purpose and literally just to to help these mamas out one birth at a time and i totally think about like you said the ptsd part absolutely that is a lot to go through after just having your baby all because you are in your rights to not want those things to not do those things um and to feel pressured that you have to do anything other than what is in your right to do. And when we think about um, care for people, about um, especially us as people of color, navigating the hospital system, you know, they'll say, well, these are the things that we're up against when we say no. <laughs> right? Like trying to navigate something and feeling like you have no way out. But you're in your, we're within your rights. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that work? How does that work? Um, and so, one, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but I first just thank you for the transparency about that experience because that is a lot. You were so courageous. You, it was a lot. And I say that, and I, I don't like that it happened to me, but I'm glad that it happened to me. Uh, my sister had a really traumatic birth experience where her daughter didn't even come home. Um, and I feel like had that been her, she would have just said, just take her, take her, you know, take the baby. They would have, it would have worn her down. Whereas I'm pretty, I said what I said. I'm not going to keep saying it. You get what I'm, but they were wearing me down. And I know a person like my sister, and there's several people out there like that, would have been so worn down where it was like, just do whatever, cut the cord, do whatever, you know, because I can't take this and not stand on that. Um, but yeah, she she had a, a situation with her, her first daughter. Um, and ironically enough, she had her daughter on March 12th as well, which is her own birthday. And her daughter passed away on March 12th. She only lived about seven hours. And then years later, I had Zane on March 12th. So what is it with March 12th? But it made it a happy time again. Although in the midst of all the craziness, it was a happy time again. And it did take a lot of courage because I was scared. I won't even pretend like I wasn't. I just was like in mama bear mode. And I was running off of sheer adrenaline. So we made it through, though. I mean, this, this show, like we said, come share as you feel led. And, I, and I'm going to be transparent and honest that I will. I need time to process. <laughs> I know. Um, to be able to fully articulate my thoughts around it. But again, it's, it's my thoughts around it are not the purpose. Our thoughts around it are not the purpose. So but I'm I'm like we like to be honest with people about where we're feeling. And sometimes we don't have. We also need times as people to share space in this way. Mm -hmm. But definitely reiterating what Danny said, courageous in so many ways. Um, and just the power that you had to to sit in your power, in your right, in your 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 t being a mother. Um, yeah. So while that was the beginning of postpartum, 
for you? What did postpartum look like once you got home? Ooh. <laughs> I would say um, certainly, you know, with the Lotus birth, that's because you have the downtime, right? The baby can be handled as less as possible. Um, and that was rough trying to protect him and keep him safe and okay with this this placenta still attached to him and still do what I needed to do for my child, still nurse him, still but I was I feel like I was robbed of that that immediate time after giving birth to just bask in being a new mother all over again. Um so postpartum was was rough for me at the beginning. Um, but of course, I, I think I'm the type of person, I'm so strong and I keep going because I know that I have to, that it takes me a minute to break down. And it's not until I finally just, you know, just, oh, okay, I can take a breather. But it took a while. And I think it was when I got back to LA that I realized how traumatic that was. And my sister I was talking to her and she was like, I didn't even know what to do for you. I'm like, do I need to get in the car and drive to her from California to Kansas? You know, that's 24 hours, 27 hours. She was like, what do I do? Like, how do I help you? And, you know, just letting my mom know she just had a baby. You know, can you extend a bit more grace and and show, you know, a bit more compassion, be more empathetic? because I told you guys we were turning on each other in the house here. It was like, we were, I don't hell hostage in a sense, scared to leave, scared to open the door, you know, just, it was rough. Postpartum was rough in those first, you know, from May, May, what did I, I had him on the 12th. I went home on the 13th and we finally made it out on the 23rd. That period was pretty rough. Um, I made it through it, but it was, it was hard for me. And I didn't realize how hard it was for me until after I was out of it, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, that was it was pretty rough. I do remember um, before their dad flew out, he did come and got a room together um, downstairs at my parents' house and just did like some aromatherapy just so I could have the fresh smells and just kind of alter my mood a bit. And I feel like that helped a lot. Um, but it was rough for me. And so I, I got with uh, Hakima. She's in Kansas City. She's a midwife in Kansas City. Um, at I can't even think of the name of her. What is it called? I can't think of it right now. But she's a midwife here. And she, she put me in touch with Kimberly Durden in Los Angeles. And so when I got to L.A., um, Kim welcomed me and Zane. He had a name now. I named him on March 27th, but she welcomed me and Zane into her home and Allegra, Allegra Hill, um, who would later help me in my maternal health journey. Um, she taught me how to encapsulate. Um, I attended Rasha Tahini Lola Queen. I attended her midwifery, um, class that she did in Hawaii. Um, I did my doula certification with Kim, but Kim welcomed us into her home and she had these, these mommy meetups and I was able to 
uh, attend those. And that's when I was like, finally, I can let my guard down. I'm safe. And that was the first time that I felt like a safe space and I was okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you um, for sharing your story today, for being transparent with us about the experience, for sharing space with us about this experience. Because, I mean, like you said, you're deaf, you were in a place to share, but it does bring back all of that when you do reshare, when you actually talk about it. So we are just so grateful. Um, but is there anything else that you want to share about your experience, about your birth, um, anything else you want to leave listeners with? Um, I just want to empower women through education. I want you to go into these spaces because everybody can't have a home birth or they won't do a home birth or they won't feel comfortable. Um, but when you go into these spaces, I want you to go into these spaces empowered through education. I want you to go into these spaces in know your rights, know that you have the right to refuse everything, know that that is your baby that came through your portal, who God appointed you to be steward over their life. And that's why they came through your portal. And you are the best decision maker for them. No one else. No one else knows what you need, what your baby needs, except for you. And just listen to yourself, trust yourself. Um, be guided with your intuition, but trust yourself most of all and know your rights when you go into there. So educate yourselves, advocate for yourselves. That would be the best advice that I can give you. And if you feel like you can't do that in these spaces, just go ahead and hire a doula and let them advocate for you and teach you how to advocate for yourselves in these spaces. This was awesome. Um, awesome in that this awakening and all these things that you started for yourself in this process of giving birth from just your initial preparations and, and saying yes and no to exactly what you want to say yes and no to. Um, without knowing what the consequence will be. Yeah, without knowing what the consequence would be um, for you and your family, not just, you know, your choices, like your health choices for your child, but like how other people were going to treat you, how they were receiving you, um, even down to your family. Um, and that's hard. Those are hard battles. Um, and I hope that you've been able to do some healing. I hope that this space has provided some healing for you and just releasing it um, and letting people know, like, no, this is more of the extreme, right? You can say yes or no to things in the hospital. This got wild. <laughs> this went way left, um, but we're so grateful for you holding um, on to what you really truly believed for yourself and for your family, and just so thankful that you shared it with us today. Absolutely, and I did, um, I did file a lawsuit against that hospital. It was a multi-million dollar because, and I felt like I needed to sue the hospital and then let the hospital go after the police department for the harassment. Because although it was the police who held us hostage in here in DFS, it was the hospital that, you know, pushed it off the cliff, got the ball rolling. Um, and I ended up letting it go. It was so draining. And of course, with them, they'll pu push it out so far and just drag you through so much where it took more of a toll on me than actually the the incident that happened itself. So I had to let it go. 
And um, in exchange for that, it was like, okay, well, what's next? I do want to sit down with the hospital and I want to sit down with some of those nurses so that, you know, we can all get on somewhat of the same page and they know how to receive us and they know how to treat us a bit better. You know, they can relate maybe um, to, you know, what it is that we need and what we feel and in, in our experience and step into that as opposed to um, want to feel comfortable and, you know, be afraid of the unknown and make it like it's my, you know, the the burden is on me to explain to you what it is that I'm doing in here. And I'm just doing something that's natural anyway that my people have been doing for years that I would like to do with, with my child. This is what I feel called to do with this one. And so it is, it's a different experience when you decide to say, no, that won't work for me. No, not this time. And the game changes, but this was definitely um, extreme, but I know that it could have went several different ways, but it went the way that it was supposed to go. And and I'm grateful for it. Um, But in reading like, my medical records, I mean, it was like 600 pages. Y'all. It was so much information in there. I found out these people had called the police on me. The police had been to the hospital like four times. Um, they did, it stated in there, she has not broken any laws. She has not done anything wrong. We cannot step in right now. I found out these people drug tested me. They were just going to use anything to take custody of my baby uh, while we were there at the hospital. And and all along, and I'm asking, Debbie, why would you say that? And why, you know, I've done this long enough. I know what's coming next. And sure enough, that's what they were doing behind the scenes. And I had no clue until that lawsuit started. And I actually started to read through my medical records. The pediatrician hotlined me. I was hotlined by the hospital, the pediatrician, two different people. And um, they just made the road a bit tough for me, but it's like when you, when you listen to that intuition and you allow yourself to be guided, whatever decision you make, you come out on top. So I'm glad that I was able to just be receptive to that and do what I felt like I needed to do. Always follow your intuition. Right. Trust yourself. Well, we are so thankful. There's not enough thanks to give, um, but we are just thankful for today. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me share. Finally. Uh, Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 